Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Tom Brennan will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Okay, welcome to Bible Wire. We are going to pick up where we left off last time, and now we're going to be working into Acts chapter 12. And right now we're going to consider uh, verses 1 through 6. Okay, so what we had done is we left off uh, the very encouraging uh, events that were going on in Antioch, where the church is actually thriving, it's being recognized, and this is where the believers are first called Christians. So we see all this going on. And then we start to see some storm clouds on the horizon, and we start to see that there, uh, not all is well, and the church begins to come into a different chapter. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 12 and see what's going on here. So what we have going on right here is in chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, and that's an understatement for sure. But this was Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great, who ruled in the days of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 2. Herod Agrippa I was also the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had a role in the trial of Jesus in Luke chapter 23. So we see these going on. So this is one of the Herods, and he came from a long line of, shall we say, no goodniks. And uh, these were people who were ruthless um, and actually very, um, uh, just, just, a, just a very uh, ungodly and uh, oppressive uh, regime to, to, to live under. So anyway, it says that he stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. No doubt this was done because it was politically popular for Herod. It pleased many of his citizens who didn't like Christians. Many political figures are ready to persecute Christians if it will make them politically popular. Now, persecuting Christians takes many forms. In our culture, it involves media characterizations of Christians as hypocritical, weird, psychopaths, cruel, and pedophiles, or Nazis, uncool and simple-minded. And sometimes Christians are subject to unjust lawsuits for their faith uh, to bake, you know, if they don't bake a cake or something. These things happen as well. So what happens is in our culture right now, we are seeing persecution uh, of Christians. This is, this is nothing new. It's always been around. And so we see this happening where, where some people, usually it's the common people, the people who are in a tough spot, they really like the church, but others don't so much. And we see the same thing happening right now. Um, Christianity, not real popular in Hollywood right now, and it's not real popular in, the, in, the, in many uh, government um, you know, um, halls and uh, chambers. So we see that right there. We'll, we'll move on from there because in other cultures, not only can those things happen, but you could suffer the loss of your career, your family, property, imprisonment, torture, and even death. That's normal in other cultures. So we need to recognize that right now we have a privilege if we can even suffer for Christ a little bit. Uh, there's a place where the scripture says we're not only given the privilege of knowing him, but to know the fellowship of his suffering. So um, let's always keep this in perspective. Okay, then it goes on. 
Then it goes on, it says in, in, uh, in verse 2, Then he killed James, the brother of John with the sword. So now this was a new development in the, in the history of the church. Of the twelve who followed Jesus, James was the first to be martyred. The apostles were vulnerable and mortal. Though they performed miracles and raised the dead, they could be killed like other men. Up to Acts 12, the church had been on a streak of success, experiencing one exciting conversion after another. First, there was Saul of Tarsus, then the Gentile centurion Cornelius, and then the successful work among Gentiles and Jews in Antioch. But in Acts 12, opposition inspired by Satan again rears its ugly head. James was certainly not the first Christian to die in faithfulness to Jesus. We saw that Stephen in chapter 7, was martyred before this, and certainly others also. But the death of James was new ground because it shattered the illusion that somehow the twelve enjoyed a unique divine protection, that they were charmed and they were actually going to be okay. James, the brother of John, James in particular, might have thought to have been protected. He was one of the special intimates of Jesus. He was very close to the Lord. It's mentioned very often that Peter, James, and John were always together with Christ. And here we have James, who was actually killed by the sword probably a beheading. But Jesus promised no special protection for even his closest followers. He warned them to be ready for persecution. In, chap in Matthew chapter 10, we are often comforted by the promises of Scripture. We all There's these books that say promises from Scripture. Well, <laughs> Paul later writes that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution in the second Timothy chapter 3. This is a promise from Scripture. Uh, we'd, all, we'd all probably prefer not to see this fulfilled in our lives. John chapter 12, verses 15 to uh, verse 20. Remember, Jesus says this, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So also, in Mark 10, 35 to 40, John and his brother James came to Jesus and asked to be considered his two they want to be at his right hand, his left hand, his two chief lieutenants. And Jesus replied to them, You do not know what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? James and John, not knowing what they're saying, replied by saying, Oh, sure, we can do that. And then Jesus promised them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. And so this martyrdom of James was the fulfillment of that promise for James. John fulfilled it by a lifetime of devoted service to God, despite re repeated attempts to martyr him. At one point, John was actually boiled in oil, it is said. Uh, ultimately banished to the island of Patmos, where he receives the book of Revelation. Then we moved on, uh, move on in, uh, to verse 3. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, Herod's motivation was purely political. He didn't care if James or Peter were guilty or innocent. He cared only for the approval of the crowd. This Machiavellian behavior is nothing new, and we see it every day on every news network. Politicians have always been known to be corrupt and craven. How refreshing when some worthy person is placed in a position of authority. But we don't see that here. Uh, so we move on then. Uh, then it says that because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. And Peter at this point was considered pretty much the de facto head of the church. If there was a uh, greater among equals, it would be Peter. And, and he was there with the apostles. So to seize Peter is no small thing. It would be akin to seizing Billy Graham at the height of his popularity. Or, to put it another way right here, he proceeded to further seize him. And this is something that you, you, we've seen throughout history in many ways. In our days, um, 
when, when Trump was president, he threatened to lock her up, meaning Hillary Clinton, and this was chanted by thousands at the rallies. And so Trump, you know, same kind of a thing. If you see it's going to please people, you go ahead and you, you pump that up. And then, uh, uh, so the president, now today lawsuits are being leveled against Trump and their payback, and they're also being met with great glee and enthusiasm by his detractors. So political leaders often threaten and persecute those others to rally people to themselves and to throw out red meat. And nothing is new under the sun. And the church through the ages has often been fodder for these kinds of leaders. You know, Nero famously persecuted Christians just to shift the blame from his own incompetency. And so we see this going on as well. Uh, so he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread is the next thing that we're told right here. Now, Herod decided to deal with Peter at a politically opportune time. It's, it wasn't just an accident. Fearing an unpredictable mob reaction when Passover pilgrims filled Jerusalem. So, uh, Stanley Horton suggests three reasons for the delay in executing Peter. First, Herod wanted to show how scrupulously he observed that Passover. Second, he wanted to wait until the pilgrim crowds went home, fearing a riot. And third, he wanted to wait until he had the full attention of the Jewish population. So again, it's political maneuvering. So then in verse 4, So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people before, uh, rather, uh, to bring him before the people after the Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, Herod was no idiot. He was no dummy. And so since he knew that Peter, with the other apostles, had mysteriously escaped from prison before, in Acts chapter 5, Herod assigned a high security detail to guard Peter. This was a total of 16 soldiers. Normally it was considered enough for a prisoner to be handcuffed to one soldier, but as a special precaution, Peter had a soldier on each side of him, and both his wrists were handcuffed. So, there were always four soldiers guarding Peter. Extraordinary precautions were also taken by chaining him to two soldiers instead of one as usual. The other two soldiers kept watch outside the cell. And it's assumed that these, that these four quaternions uh, were basically uh, in shifts. So that's what happened right there. So Peter was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So, Peter's in prison. We'd seen this happen before. Uh, where, where the apostle in prison, constant prayers offered to God to him by the church. We will see how this all turns out next time. So please tune in next time to BibleWare. We'll talk about what happened and if God answered the prayers, or rather how he answered the prayers of this praying church. Thanks for listening to BibleWare. We'll see you next time. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.